All right. In this episode, I am going to talk about something that Roger taught a lot on, and it was something he called the 12 doubts. Throughout Roger's ministry, he went to a lot of churches. I think it was around 300 churches, and he encountered a lot of repetitive ideas and concepts that people would come to him with. You know, hey, oh, maybe it's not God's will for me to be healed, as an example. And what Roger would find is a lot of times when people came up to him and they begin to express those ideas, they had trouble receiving healing. But if he could get them to begin to look at what Jesus taught that was often different than that thing they had in their head, which we'll see Jesus heals everyone who comes to him, and he reveals that it's God's will to heal everyone who comes to him. But as they would begin to get rid of this idea that disqualified themselves, oh, maybe it's not God's will for me to be well. And then they begin to qualify themselves based on what Jesus taught. Hey, it is God's will for me to be well. All of a sudden, they would experience their breakthrough and receive their healing. Much of the time, it would happen then and there instantly on the spot. So this definitely got Roger kind of thinking and saying, hey, what's going on here? And over the course of his ministry, he found a lot of these different seemingly spiritual religious ideas that were floating about, especially common in the church world. I'm going to address those today for those who are in the church world and those who are out, just in case somehow these doctrines have snuck into your theology as though they were somehow true. We want to compare them to Christ so that we can come to Christ alone and in case these things are causing us to have trouble pursuing God as our healer, we can begin to understand a little bit more about how it works. So my encouragement to you today is if you've embraced one of these theologies that basically causes you to push God away for healing, or perhaps just to sit around and hope God shows up one day as your healer, consider the things I'm going to share in this message so that you can pursue Christ again as your healer and the Savior of your body. What does it mean to doubt? You know, in, in the American language, if I say, you know, somebody comes to me and says, hey, bro, I just bought you a Ferrari, you know, and I said, oh, I doubt that, I would basically be telling them, I don't necessarily believe you. I think you're lying to me, you know? Well, that's not necessarily what the biblical concept of the word doubt means as used in the New Testament. The word doubt in the New Testament is the word diakrino in Greek, which means to doubt or to judge, to separate, make a distinction, to discriminate, to prefer, to withdraw from one, or to be at variance with oneself, to hesitate. The idea of doubt in the New Testament is the idea of disqualifying ourselves from the grace of God. Imagine I was at a church and they're preaching the you know salvation call. Hey, Jesus saves you, heals you, delivers you, whatever you need. And yet I had this thing in my head that said, nah, man, I'm not convinced about this Jesus guy, you know, or that's not real. Or, hey, I Jesus sounds pretty cool, but I can't believe that God would truly save me I mean, has he seen my list of sins? So there's an idea of me disqualifying myself outside the grace of God. I don't go up. I don't receive. Why? Because in my mind, I don't believe it. I don't believe God can truly get to me. 
I don't think his grace is enough for me. So that's me disqualifying myself from the grace of God. We have to watch out for this because that will create a double-mindedness. We'll get into that more later. But the idea of disqualifying ourselves is more of a New Covenant, New Testament idea of what it means to doubt something. One of the great examples of this is Peter when he is walking on the water and then seeing the wind and the waves. He was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of Peter, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? How much faith does it take to walk on water? According to Jesus, little faith. How much doubt does it take to sink? Just a little bit of doubt. Peter took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. I'm going to tell you, Part of the key to the miraculous, which we'll get to later, but is a strong, powerful focus on Jesus and his ability, not on us and our inability. We have to focus on God and not on us, his capability and not our inability. But what was going through Peter's mind right then? I mean, imagine if that was you walking on water. You know how easy it would be to start thinking, wow, who am I? to walk on water. To us, that seems like a God-level thing. I mean, here's Jesus, Son of God, walking on the water. That seems like something so far beyond what we may feel qualified for. And there is us potentially disqualifying ourselves from the grace of God. That's what it means to doubt. A couple of times, Jesus taught on faith and doubt together. Whenever he was talking about moving the mountain and cursing the fig tree, if you have faith and do not doubt. We need to make sure we do not have doubt. I think it's possible that we end up with this doubt in more than one way, but the way I'm going to talk about today is basically reasons that are often presented in theology that many people have embraced that have hindered them from receiving healing from God in their time of need. Commonly, these reasons even prevent them from coming to God in their time of need. So if you remember from the first one that we did, or the second uh, ep episode in this that we did on Christ reveals the Father, if we remember that Jesus reveals God perfectly to mankind. So let's start with the most common doubt that Roger used to encounter in his ministry. And I've encountered this one a lot. Maybe it's not God's will for me to be well. Maybe it's not God's will for me to be healed. This idea has become so prevalent in the church that nowadays it's in the world. Even the world has learned from the church that this bad doctrine. And so there's this idea that, oh, well, you know, maybe it's God's will to heal that guy or that girl, but not me. Well, that's incorrect. That's absolutely incorrect. We don't see that in the ministry of Christ. You know, if a thousand people showed up in the multitude to receive healing, and it says he healed all who came to him, that was a thousand people that got healed. Jesus is batting pretty good success there. He reveals to us by healing everyone who comes that it was always God's will to heal us. If you have not 
meditate yet in the Gospels, then I would encourage you to do so. Meditate in the Gospels. Look at all the times that it says Jesus heals everyone who came to him. You'll even see it in the, the book of Acts and in the epistles where people are getting healed. The disciples are reproducing and healing entire multitudes as well. There was a time when a leper came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing, be cleansed. This is the only time anybody in that society had ever expressed, or at least that we see recorded, where they had expressed, hey, is it God's will for me to be well? And in their culture, leprosy was considered a judgment on somebody. So it would make sense that this leper may come to Jesus thinking, hey, maybe it's God's will for me to have this leprosy. Maybe God doesn't want me well because maybe I brought this upon myself through my sin or you know, breaking the law, something to that effect. We don't see Jesus have that mentality. We just see Jesus say, hey, be clean. He stretched out his hand, touched the leper through laying on of hands, and ministered healing to this leper. It is always, always, always God's will for men to be saved. Scripture declares that it is God's will for all men to be saved. And we've already seen that saved includes healing. It is spirit, soul, and body. Now, we know that there are people who die without being saved whether spirit, soul, or body, it does happen. But what we cannot do is look and say, hey, that guy died without receiving the fullness of his salvation. I shall doubt the Lord now. We cannot do that. Instead, it would probably be a better thing for us to say, look, I know God is faithful and reliable. I don't know about that guy over there that, that died you know, without the fullness of salvation. I don't know where he was at. Was he saved? Did he have a strong faith? Did he, was he double-minded? Did he actually understand how this works? Did this guy regularly receive salvation in all of its forms and one day just had a random bizarre thing where it didn't work? I mean, what's really going on there? I mention this in particular because one thing I've seen a lot is I have a lot of Christian friends that don't study healing, don't understand healing, don't know anything about healing because they don't study it. And then they'll have a friend of theirs who's in the hospital, who's a fellow Christian, who might die of sickness or disease. I've seen this happen with pastors. I've seen this happen with a number of people, and they just don't understand it. And I'm going to get to, uh, later on to an underlying false belief system that's kind of invaded the church and is, is the reason why a lot of people don't understand how to receive but when you're sitting here, and let's let's just say it was you know a friend of yours that died of sickness and disease, and you knew they were a Christian, and you just thought they were on fire for the Lord. Maybe they seemed passionate. Maybe they were in church a bunch. They loved to sing songs. They loved to do read the Bible. They loved to do all the the seemingly Jesus things. Well, you know what you can't do is you can't necessarily see all the way into their heart, or their spirit, or their soul. How do you know if they have an understanding for how healing truly works? Have they ever studied it? Have they ever walked in it? Do they currently walk in it pretty successfully? Do they understand what faith is and how faith functions? And Roger's experience over the years, there are a number of times he has had preachers of the gospel 
who are struggling to receive healing. And some of the ideas that gets presented to these guys, clearly from Satan, just trying to cause these guys trouble, are ridiculous. You know, I remember one story he shared where literally the pastor thought that, you know, he had cancer and he thought the cancer was a reflection of disunity in his church and that once there was unity, he would be healed of cancer. And Roger looks at him and says, oh, so you're going to die, huh? Because you can't control unity in your church. And that seemed like a spiritual idea, but it's not from God. God doesn't give you cancer. It is his will for you to be well. What God does give you is his son, Jesus Christ, who he literally sent down here to be tortured and crucified so that we can receive our healing when we have need. A lot of times when you help people resolve these misunderstandings and come to Christ as healer, they'll tend to receive. There are a lot of times that good-hearted, wonderful Christian people, I've had some that are really close to me, some that are good friends, where they have died of sickness and disease, you know? And I mean, people that I love very, very much at times that I didn't understand it all, that I didn't have good understanding of it. And my goal is not to condemn them. Many of them did everything they knew to do and yet failed to receive. And so the issue sometimes is not that I've done everything I know to do. It's, hey, did I know what, did I do what God knows to do? That's actually better than me doing what I know to do because God's a better knower. He just kind of knows everything, right? But that situation where maybe sometimes we end up seeing people that die and we just were convinced they had the faith and that they were going to have their miracle and it didn't happen, that uh, we call the misinterpreted experience where we'll look and we'll just say, hey, look, that guy tried and tried and tried, and I guess God wasn't faithful to him, you know? And that's wrong. We can't believe that. We can't think that way. We have to think that God is the perfect one who is our savior and that man is imperfect. And even those who are close to us may just not completely grasp this. And so it would be far better for me to look at my fellow friends and uh, even the ones who have passed and not to condemn them, but to say, look, I know they did their best, but they didn't quite understand it and know what to do completely. And so I'm going to keep pressing on until we get to a greater level of understanding. But I cannot declare God to be the unfaithful one, because if I declare that God is unfaithful, that God is temperamental, that the reason they died was God's fault, then the issue is, what's the point of me even following God? If I've got a random bipolar, schizophrenic, he's this way today and that way tomorrow kind of God, that's not very helpful for me. That is not a God anybody wants to serve and follow. And it's also not easy to understand how to receive healing if God was constantly changing his mind every day. Thankfully, he's not. Jesus Christ reveals it is always his will to heal everyone who comes to him. And he does so as a living testimony by healing everyone who comes to him for healing. So let's talk about the next common doubt that people run into. What about God's timing? All right, let's say I'm convinced that it's God's will for me to be well. I won't disqualify myself. I won't say that somehow I'm the special exception to the grace of God. Which, mind you, I want to point out that God knew you were going to be born in this time. 
He knew you would have a body because he created it. And he knew that your body would have needs because he created it. And he knew this before the foundation of the world, before he had already chosen and said, all right, I shall give grace to man. He already chose for you to have a body and for his grace to be extended to you and for his will to be that you would be well and healed. So what's his timing for me to be healed? Well, his timing, he already prepared this before the foundation of the world. But we like to say his timing was 2,000 years ago at the cross. In the last message, one of the last messages, we talked about John 3, 14 through 16, looking up. You know, remember Moses, the serpent in the wilderness, the people looked up and they would receive their healing. And in the New Testament, Jesus used that to talk about him being lifted up on the cross. Well, in the New Covenant, we look to Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And that's how we receive our healing. Scripture declares in Isaiah, by his stripes you are healed. In 1 Peter 2.24, it says, by his stripes you were healed, past tense. By that point, Jesus had suffered his stripes and healing came. So healing, the timing for healing is actually at the cross. Something that'll, uh, that it's kind of a weird shift in the way that we think about it, but we are never waiting on God for our healing. That's a wrong mentality and that's a wrong thinking that leads often to a lot of not success. Our healing is waiting on us. It was paid for 2000 years ago and healing works the exact same as forgiveness, the exact same as deliverance. Salvation works the same as salvation, which works the same as salvation. That's just saying the saved, healed, and delivered in a different way. But salvation works the same as salvation. The timing was 2,000 years ago. That's when God paid the price. And today is the day of salvation, right now. So if you're in need of a savior, you can get your salvation right now. You can be saved, spirit, soul, or body. The timing is now. Anything that would try to delay your salvation and say, oh no, your salvation is a later point in time. We've got to watch out for that. Who do you think runs around preaching the message that Jesus might be willing to be your savior one day, but not today? That doesn't sound like a very Christ-centered message or a message inspired by the Holy Spirit. The timing was at the cross. Now, I have had times where I don't seem to receive my healing instantly. I'm going to share one with you at some point about the assist that I had on my left wrist that got healed. But I'm going to tell you something. In my mind, I knew this, I knew this. In my mind, I literally had put, a I knew that the timing was at the cross but did I really know it? Because also in my mind was, hey, first, I've got to spend more time meditating on the scripture and some time prayer and fasting to overcome unbelief so that I could then walk into and receive my healing. That was the process. It actually took me a couple of months to fully, you know, to get to a place where I received the healing. And once I received it, I mean, it was gone, you know, really, really, really fast. I mean, instantly, basically. But it took me a little bit to get my faith to that level. That doesn't mean that Jesus was waiting and unwilling to heal me until I got to that point. The timing for healing is when I come. 
Think about the time machine. Imagine we could, you know, borrow Bill and Ted's excellent adventure time machine and we could travel back to the days of Jesus walking the earth. If we hop out of our time machine and we see a multitude, I check my iPhone and there's no cell service. And then we wander over to Jesus and I need healing for something. I say, hey, Jesus, will you heal me? And the answer is absolutely, because he healed the people when they came to him. That's when they received healing, when they came to Jesus. Well, I don't think Bill and Ted really have a time machine. So we can't get in a time machine and go back 2,000 years. But it's the same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus today is the same one. So I don't have to get in a time machine. He's come forward in time. He's still here. He's still alive. He still heals the sick, cleanses the lepers, raises the dead, casts out demons. He still delivers men, and he still saves men, still gives them a wonderful afterlife. That is Jesus. So the timing for salvation was at his stripes. The time for your healing was at his stripes. And so this idea that sometimes I'm looking forward in time, waiting on God to eventually give me something that he's already given me is an incorrect belief system. It's an incorrect way of thinking, and it often leads to failures instead of successes. Let's think about it in the context of forgiveness, because I find it's really easy to think about forgiveness again, since it's kind of an invisible thing on the inside, but it's not completely visible on the outside, unlike our bodies. So with forgiveness, I hear the message of Jesus, the Savior of my soul, the, the one that forgives me, the one that forgives my sins, Savior of my spirit, gives me a new life. I hear that message presented, the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. And I respond at that point in time, and I give my life to Jesus. I become a new creation. I get born again. Well, was that God's timing for me to be saved? What if I had come the month before in the exact same state of heart and mind and said, okay, Jesus, I'm ready for this forgiveness. I'm ready for salvation. Would Jesus say to me, sorry, Eric, come back next month. That's a better time for you to be saved and forgiven. I don't think so. We don't see that in the gospels. Jesus never sends anybody away saying, come back later for your salvation. There's a better time for it, some mysterious time down the road. That's not accurate. That's not true. And we have to be careful of anything that delays us receiving from our Savior. We don't want a belief system that delays Jesus. A lot of times this delay idea, um, it's kind of become part of the way we do healing. And if you look, you'll notice a lot of people have all these worldly techniques. You got people that love Western medicine, that love Eastern medicine, this natural medicine, the plant medicine, the oil medicine, the energy medicine, all this different stuff. Some of these guys still believe in Jesus, but you'll notice most of the time Jesus is in their back pocket as the last resort. And so their timing for healing from Jesus is after they've tried everything else from the world and it didn't work. That's not the best place for timing for our salvation. The time for salvation is when we come and we should come right away every time so we can get in the habit of receiving continually as we have need. 
I find that once we resolve the issue of God's will and God's timing, that tends to be pretty powerful at uh, either exposing the foundation or all these other ideas of doubt that aren't from God. Uh, it's also really good to, to help enhance and improve our faith and our ability to believe in God. I'm going to tell you, just as a quick side note, a lot of the guys historically, the men and women of God who functioned really well in miraculous healing are those who are utterly convinced that it was always God's will to heal the sick. I'll also tell you that as a practical level, if you're going to minister healing to somebody in front of you and you want to pray for their healing, you need to be utterly convinced that it's God's will for them to be well. Because if not, what will happen is this. Let's say I got somebody in front of me that has back pain and I'm not completely convinced that it's God's will for them to be well, but I'm going to pray for them. But in the back of my mind, I'm sitting here maybe thinking, ah, maybe they deserved it. Maybe they did something wrong. Maybe they screwed up, you know, or maybe God just doesn't love them enough to heal them today. Or, or I'll redefine God's love somehow to make it look like that's love, but he's not going to heal them. And now I'm going to lay hands on this guy. And what am I expecting to happen? Nothing. I'm literally expecting nothing, which goes contrary to the idea of faith. Also, I'm double-minded. I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, I know God can heal, but I don't know about this guy here. We'll see. Well, that's not a very confident, that's not coming boldly before the throne, and that's no confidence in God and his salvation. Now, if you come before me and you want forgiveness of sins, imagine I wasn't convinced of God's will for you to be forgiven. Maybe I wouldn't even help minister it to you. But if I'm utterly convinced of it, I'm utterly convinced, it's a lot easier for me to stand in faith and not be double-minded and to do my absolute best to minister to you. So I want to be convinced that it's the will of God, no matter what I see, even if I'm not walking in it, even if my body has not yet surrendered completely to walking in the will of God, it will, because I'm going to keep pressing and focusing on God until my body shifts and says, hey, health and healing are my birthright through Jesus Christ. So back to the idea of the next idea is God's purpose. Hey, is there a purpose for sickness and disease? Maybe God's trying to teach me a lesson. Maybe I brought this upon myself and I'm being judged just like the leper in the gospels. Maybe God's teaching me a lesson. Oh, he's trying to improve my character. A lot of these ideas, well, these ideas are, they're false, they're wrong, and they're not found in the ministry and teaching of Jesus Christ, who is the one that reveals God perfectly to mankind. You never see somebody coming to Jesus and Jesus sending them away saying, oh, brother, your cancer is a hidden blessing from God. He's got a purpose for it. You don't see that. You don't see somebody coming and saying, oh, this back pain is from God or this neck pain. You know, God's trying to teach you a lesson. That's false. That's a lie. That's actually a lie from the devil to try to get people, especially Christians, to embrace the devil's theology so that he can keep attacking their bodies with sickness and disease. Scripture actually shows us in Acts 10.38 that Jesus healed all who were oppressed by the devil. And if you remember from the teaching on strongholds, which we're going to get more into later, 
But a stronghold is a belief system. It's something in the mind. Well, imagine the devil can get you to believe that the devil has a right to be inside your body attacking you with sickness and disease, but he doesn't tell you that directly. He does it through seemingly spiritual things. Oh, maybe God has a purpose for you to be sick and disease. And then he points to Job, which we'll get to shortly. Well, you have to reject that. You have to look at the teachings of Jesus Christ and say, look, Jesus never revealed that God had a purpose in giving someone sickness or in leaving someone sick. The only time there was a purpose revealed is the purpose was to heal the person, not to leave them sick. You know, the scripture declares we have a teacher and it's not sickness. It's the Holy Spirit, the one who has a gift of healing. He doesn't have the gift of sickness. He has the gift of healing. That's who our Holy Spirit is. And he's the one that teaches us. We can expect as he teaches us that he brings us life, health, and healing. But we need to tune into the Holy Spirit. One of these next common doubts that Roger ran into a lot over the years was this idea of, do I have enough faith to get healed? You know, there were definitely some people in a few different movements of God that didn't completely understand faith and the miraculous. And so I know there was at least a period of time where there were abusive preachers. And I'm going to tell you what would happen. Uh, there'd be somebody on stage preaching, you know, Christ the healer. Somebody would come up. They would need healing. They wouldn't receive it. Maybe there's other people getting healed. So we know there's healing going on that day. You know, this guy's getting healed of back pain. This guy got healed of cancer. This guy got healed of scoliosis, freed out of a wheelchair, whatever. But now you got this other person up here. They're, they're limping with a cane. And nothing seems to happen. And what happens? Well, now some of these preachers who are not compassionate, they don't have a love. They need love. They need the maturity. But what would happen is some of these guys back in the day, they would start condemning the person that was sick. Oh, well, if you just had enough faith to get healed or, oh, brother, there must be sin in your life. You know, it's all your fault because these other guys got healed. That's heartless. I'm just going to say it. that's absolutely heartless. You know what? Even if the person in front of you is the one that's the issue, even if they're they're what needs to be troubleshooted and they're having trouble receiving healing, here's the thing. Jesus never gave us a ministry of running around and condemning those that we're supposed to be compassionate to. He gave us a ministry of compassion and to love these people. As a minister of the gospel, if I ever have failures, I should say, look, even if I've got 99 people that receive and the one has trouble, my goal, look, I know that the problem probably is somewhere within that person, but that's not to condemn them. And I'm not even necessarily going to point that out. I'm just going to say, okay, Lord, how do I become a better minister so I can help this person have the shift they need so they receive their healing today? I'm the one that takes the responsibility instead of pointing a finger and playing the blame game. Can you imagine being the injured person that goes up to receive healing from a minister who you see a lot of miracles, you have trouble, you struggle to receive healing, and instead of compassion and love, they start chewing you out and condemning you and making you feel horrible? Let me ask you, how many healing ministers are you going to go back to after that? How many more healing meetings are you going to want to go to? Probably none of them. And so we actually bring harm whenever we do this. Oh, you don't have enough faith. 
So that happened for a while. And then Roger begins to travel around and all these people are, hey, do I have enough faith to be healed? Especially since a lot of people can't necessarily see faith. Well, the Bible declares that God has given everybody a measure of faith or the measure of faith, as some translations say. Everybody has faith. Look, I'm just going to say it like this. If you had enough faith to get born again, you have enough faith for salvation. And salvation is spirit, soul, and body. It's the same faith in the same way to the same Jesus for perhaps just a different part of your being. Don't let your mind get so caught up on the fact it's a different part of your being. He, it's still the same creator of your being who saves you spirit, soul, and body. You let, you let him take care of that part. You let him understand that. You don't have to understand all that to receive it from him. But everybody has a measure of faith. Jesus even said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, the smallest thing in his own society, but faith as, as a grain of mustard seed, smallest thing, and do not doubt in your heart. So there was have faith, but also don't doubt. Usually it's not faith that's the problem. Usually it's doubt or disqualifying ourselves. I like to think of doubt as kind of like kryptonite to Superman. Like he's got all this super strength, super strong, but just throw some kryptonite in the guy's pocket and all of a sudden he's weak. Superhuman powers and they're, they're not even available to him. That's because it's like doubt. That's kryptonite to us. So it, God has given everybody the measure of faith. And I'm going to tell you this. I believe everybody has enough faith to receive the healing they need everybody if you need to grow in understanding how to use that faith more god will help you out if you need to understand how to direct it god will help you out if you need to grow your faith god will help you out go to him ask him to help you with these things i'm going to tell you one of the best places to get faith from is hanging out in the presence of god because faith just comes naturally as you spend time pursuing him and hanging out with him one-on-one. -on -one. I've started thinking about faith as basically how much I trust God. And the more I spend time with him, the easier it is to trust him on these things. Because I get to know him through personal interaction and experience with him, not just some other guy's word about it. Moving on, let's talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. This is a common one that has uh, sometimes a mistranslation or misunderstanding in it. So here's the story. Paul was going around and he talks about this one story where, you know, most theologians believe he was talking about himself, but he was talking about a man that had been taking up to the third heaven and been having these surpassing revelation. And because of this, he was have he had this thorn in the flesh. And scripture tells us that it was a messenger of Satan. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Okay, this 
is important to understand if you've been exposed to this theology at all. Here's why. That word, a messenger of Satan, I don't know why, but for some reason, the King James translators decided to use the word infirmity, which a lot of people would understand to mean sickness. But the actual Greek word for it is the word for a messenger of Satan. It's the word for angel. It is not the word for sickness and disease. And so there was an uh, there was a mistranslation in some of the versions of the Bible. And because people were using the word infirmity, now people have this idea that, hey, Paul is going to the third heavens and all of a sudden God is allowing sickness to remain on him because where God said, hey, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. But there is no talk of sickness here. It's a messenger of Satan harassing Paul. And the Lord, you know, Paul said, hey, we, we get rid of this thing. Well, you notice everywhere Paul went, trouble was stirred up. He was beaten and shipwrecked, people trying to kill him, people throwing him in jail. There was definitely a lot of trouble being stirred up where Paul went. And God said, hey, my grace is enough for you. I'm not getting rid of the messenger of Satan who's stirring up all this trouble everywhere. And the purpose of this was to keep Paul from becoming conceited because he was going to the third heaven and having surpassing revelations. So if we look at this, first of all, there's no sickness or infirmity here like some theologians would have proposed. But second of all, if you're not going to the third heavens and having surpassing greatness of revelations, you don't qualify for a thorn in the flesh. I've seen some people that have a misunderstanding of what weakness is referring to in the scripture here. And I'm going to tell you, it's not referring to sickness and disease. The concept of weakness is not referring to defective salvation. That somehow the salvation for your spirit, soul, and body is no longer there. God's not saying, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in you not walking in the fullness of your salvation. That's a wrong concept. But I've seen that idea presented sometimes where people think, oh, this weakness thing, and they'll just automatically relate it to sickness. I actually watched a documentary, which I'm not going to name right now, and it's not worth the 99 cents or whatever it cost. But inside of this documentary that, as far as I'm concerned, was somewhat of a hate film of, you know, one group of Christians fighting and uh, just basically putting together this film that started off with a little bit of the gospel and then just had a bunch of stuff where they took a handful of preachers, tried to make them look really bad, and then tried to lump a lot of other preachers in there. And one of the, the ideas they were presenting in this film is, oh, here's all these people talking about, you know, God's power made perfect in weakness. And they were all displaying sickness and disease. And they even tried to show somehow like that was their suffering for the faith and for the Lord. But if you actually look at the Lord in his ministry, it was to remove sickness and disease because it clearly shows in scripture that that's the work of Satan. So Jesus doesn't necessarily allow us to suffer from sickness and disease because that is part of our salvation, spirit, soul, and body. Now it's different if we're perhaps being beaten for the faith, for what we're preaching, being martyred. That's a different story than sickness and disease. Let's move on to Job. Job is one that I have heard so many things about. Um, you know, some of the people I grew up with, you start talking about healing 
And out of 89 passages in the New Testament on healing, they can't quote you one, but they can talk to you about Job. At some point, we have to realize that Jesus needs to be our focus and our Savior, not Job. And so when we look at the uh, the book of Job, there's a couple of things to be aware of. One, the whole book looks like it's just one free-flowing conversation. Two, Satan is the one that did all the harm, and God's the one that brought all the restoration. Three, Job was not sent down from heaven to reveal the will of God perfectly to mankind. Jesus was. When we look at Jesus, we see our covenant with God, not the covenant that Job was under. Job did not have a new covenant where the Savior and the source of life itself would live inside of him. Job did not have sozo, salvation for the spirit, for the soul, and for the body in the way that you and I have it. We have that on demand. Anytime I need forgiveness, I go to God, I get forgiven. Anytime I need healing, I can go to God and get it. Anytime I need deliverance, I can go to God and get it. He's a God that's available 24-7, 365. Job is not my example. Job is not my savior. And Job is not the Christian life. Jesus is. So we need to make sure we're not back to exalting Job above Jesus. We need to exalt Jesus as our example and as our Savior. If you're one of the people who had embraced that idea of Job, you know, oh man, that should be my example. What about Job? Do yourself a favor this year and pursue Jesus as your example. Let him be the one that you come to because he healed everyone who came to him. Don't disqualify yourself from the grace of God based on something that happened in the Old Testament. Another common thing that Roger ran into a lot is what he calls noble purposes not needed. So sometimes in healing ministry, you'll have people that come up and, uh, you know, oh, I'm dying of this disease, but man, I, I just need to get healed so that I can raise my kids, you know, or, or they've, got, they've got a noble purpose. And it's a thing that you and I would look at usually and say, okay, well, that's a really good reason to not die. I mean, in addition to just not wanting to die early, but you know, you got a family, you're young, you got kids, whatever's going on. Here's the thing. Remember that salvation is through Jesus and his sacrifice and his stripes alone. Salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. Whenever we come and, hey, Jesus, here's the reason why I deserve to be healed or should be healed. What I'm doing is I'm giving Jesus a counteroffer. God says the reason I deserve to be healed is because of what Jesus has done, not because of what I've done. I don't deserve it in my own, but I deserve it by grace through faith because of what he has done. Or at least I get to receive it if you don't like the idea of deserve it. But imagine I now come and say, all right, by grace through faith, by your stripes, that's cool and stuff, but let me tack on to, to your stripes with this other reason why. Hey, I, I got kids. It seems noble in the one side, but put yourself in Jesus's shoes. Here's this guy that's telling you that your sacrifice wasn't quite enough. And here's some reasons that we should add on to the sacri to your sacrifice. I'm not saying Jesus is going to somehow be like condemning or, oh, you know, nothing like that. I'm just saying what you're going to find is if your faith is not in Christ alone, it's hard to receive salvation. 
because now there's almost this purpose. Why are you trying to jump up and give Jesus the reason why you deserve to receive salvation? It's a free gift. You just come and receive it. If somebody's giving out, you know, they're giving out free things, you just come and get the free thing. You don't need to show up with the list of reasons why you should earn the free thing. You just come and get it. Come and take it. Come and receive. We just need to watch out for this mindset of trying to add to the cross. Sometimes it seems like noble purposes. Sometimes it's a whole lot more in very in-depth legalism. But we'll talk about that later. So another thing, what about death? What about dying? I mean, everybody dies, right? You know, so at some point I got to die. Do I have to die from sickness and disease? No, absolutely not. This isn't encouraging per se, but look at a lot of the original disciples. They did not die from sickness and disease. They died from being martyred for the faith some of them for functioning in the miraculous, but they did not die of sickness and disease. God does not use sickness and disease to kill his children off. That's not how that works. You lay down on your pillow and one day you wake up into heaven. There's the plan of God. Put yourself in the, in the shoes and a heart and mind of a loving father, loving parent. You've got, you know, if you've got kids, I do, I've got kids. And I know one day, hopefully, well, hopefully the return of Christ comes first. But if not, one day my kids will pass on. And I'm hoping I'm long gone by that time. You know, I'm hoping my kids get a good full, full, full life out of them. Um, you know, I want them to live maximum life. But if I was God the Father and I'm looking down, I was like, all right, here's my kids. Wonderful kids. Love them with all my heart. Most wonderful thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Would I think, hey, it's time for them to die. Let me give them some cancer and start killing them off and torture them? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Scripture also shows us in the New Testament that Jesus healed all who were oppressed by the devil. It was the devil bringing the sickness and disease and oppressing that. Jesus is the one that frees us from that. Don't mix them up. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy Jesus comes to give life and abundant life. Do not mix up life and death for they are two different things. I know in some of the culture I was raised in, there was always this idea where people would basically take something wicked and evil, something death, something like sickness, cancer, and they would try to glorify God in it. Don't fall for that. Look, Jesus paid the price for you to be healed. I'm telling you, you can receive healing the last day of your life, 120 plus years old, 120 years old. You can receive healing, go to bed 100% healed and healthy and wake up in heaven because that's God's time for you. You do not have to have disease and sickness to kill you off. That's an incorrect thinking and an incorrect understanding. And if we begin to embrace that theology, then what happens is what happens if maybe we're in our older years of life and sickness and disease come after us? We might actually begin to embrace it thinking somehow it's from God and the purpose of it is to kill us off. It's possible we end up dying way before we are supposed to because we've now embraced this idea that says God might be trying to kill me off. 
going right along with this is what happens with old age? Hey, I'm getting old. Well, there's this idea that's presented a lot in society, at least in the society I live in, and it tries to tell people that as they get older, they should expect their health to decline. They should expect to get weak, frail, you know, all kind of other things that I'm not going to mention here because I don't want to speak that over you. I want to speak life over you. But there's a lot of these ideas that, oh, oh, that's just part of getting old. Just you wait till you get old, you know, and no, absolutely not. The idea that I have to begin to get weak and frail and, you know, more and more frail as I get old is wrong. You know, the scripture declares that Moses died perfectly healthy in old age. Let me read this to you. It was Deuteronomy 34, 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. He did not have failing eyesight. He was still just as full of life. You can receive healing even in old age. And you can walk in that health and healing all the way through the very, very end of your life. You do not have to walk in a frailness and, or with any other sort of problems that we often try to associate with old age. Instead of believing and Satan's ability to attack you when you're old, believe in God's ability to keep you healthy and safe and healed even when you're old. I want to go back to something that I kind of skipped over while I was talking about God's will. And it's the idea that God shows no partiality. We see this idea presented repeatedly in Scripture, especially in the New Testament, where God shows no partiality. It's actually mentioned verbatim in multiple verses that God shows no partiality, for there is no partiality with God. Do you remember whenever Peter was praying, fell into a trance, the sheet comes down, it's got you know pigs in it and other things like that, and he hears the Lord tell him, you know, rise, Peter, eat, kill and eat, go eat. And Peter says, oh, no, 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 far be it from me to eat anything unclean, Lord. You know, in their culture and society, that would not have been clean, kosher food for them to eat. Fast forward, and this story is basically Peter being prepared to go and bring the message of salvation to the Gentiles. He goes over to Cornelius' house, to who's a Gentile, the first one that gets to hear the message of the gospel, as far as we know. And Peter tells him, you know, hey, with God, there is no partiality. What he'll do for the Jew he'll do for the Gentile. This is now the gospel of Jesus Christ going out to the entire world. It is not reserved for a small few. It is given to all who would believe. The reason why this is so important is because, look, imagine you and I are both in a healing meeting together and you see me receive healing for something well, now you can say, wait a second, if God will do that for Eric, he'll do it for me. That's a good, proper mentality to have. We need to realize that, look, if God will heal the one, he'll heal the other. For there's no partiality with God. Now, you could take this idea of God shows no partiality and stretch it beyond reasonable logic. Like, hey, if God will give, you know, that guy that wife, I should get that wife too. No, 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 no. I get my own wife. He gets his own wife. But I can rightfully say, look, if the Lord will provide a spouse for somebody else, I know he'll provide me a spouse also. 
That I can believe. So we use this understanding of God shows no partiality to help qualify ourselves inside of salvation and to know that it's God's will for me to be saved just the same as it is for you. If I can receive it, you can receive it. If you know people that have received healing, you can receive healing. Sometimes you'll hear people spiritualize sickness and disease. And this really overlaps with the you know purpose of God. Is there a purpose for my sickness kind of idea? But I want to address this train of thought in particular. So what do I mean? Well, here's one example I've seen. Somewhere in the book of, I believe it's Proverbs, it says, envy is like rottenness to the bone. And this man decided, hey, there was this woman that had osteoporosis that came to him for healing. So because of that Bible verse, envy is like rottenness to the bones and osteoporosis is, you know, the bones kind of rotting away. He decided that her problem was she was envious. So now the solution, she had to repent from being envious. Well, here's the problem. How does the woman even know she was envious? And that's just a, a really weird way to begin to spiritualize sickness and disease by finding some Bible verse that kind of sort of seems relevant to a medical condition and trying to connect them somehow. That's actually what much of this man's particular ministry did. And it led so many people astray. It wasn't even funny. Um, I don't want to go into too much of the story right now, but I had a very dear friend of mine that was desperately in need of healing and that was the only ministry she had been exposed to. This was before I understood healing and functioned in it, when I was still trying to find, you know, where is it really? Where's the stuff that works? And that ministry was the only thing she had known. And the ministry basically just pointed a finger at you and called you a giant sinner. And it was a whole handbook of all the different lists of sins you had committed that you had to, you know, repent of and seek forgiveness for before God would heal you. It was probably one, it's probably to date one of the worst written books I don't even know if they mention Jesus in it. If they do, it's like once or twice, if that. But Christ has nothing to do with their theology or ministry. And my dear friend on her deathbed looks at me and says, Eric, I've repented of everything I know to repent from. I think I've even repented from things I've never done. And I'm still not healed. What's going on? And I didn't know it back then, but we weren't looking to Jesus. We were looking to ourselves as the problem instead of Jesus as the solution. That was the last conversation I ever had with her. And I was not happy with that man's ministry once I began to understand what he was doing is taking a lot of people away from Jesus. But I do understand the man at least had a desire to see more healing. And I understand that. But there's a reason why we need to be tuned into the voice of God as we're going about this. I want to go over one final doubt and I'm not going to name it quite yet, but I will in a little bit. First, I want you to understand something about this particular doubt. It is probably one of the most prevalent doubts throughout much of the church, much of the church world, a lot of seminaries, a lot of intellectual theologians. You find this all over the place. It was something I was exposed to a lot growing up in kind of the intellectual church, if you will. It's what I would consider a very common teaching of the modern-day Pharisees. Interestingly, those who embrace this doubt as true rarely function in the supernatural. And the, the sad part is, if you fall under a preacher who happens to embrace this doctrine and theology, and then you get sick to a point where you need a miracle, 
that preacher is far more likely to be planning your funeral instead of your miracle. The people that embrace this theology do not function in healing quite often. Jesus said particular signs would follow those who believe, and it's rare that you see those with this theology having those signs follow them. I'm going to tell you, this was a problem in my own life. This is one of the theologies that I had to overcome. It was a doubt, uh, a deception that I had been exposed to in church, and it's still taught in tons of churches. And it wasn't until I overcame it that I began to step into a better level of healing experience and the supernatural. So a lot of people that embrace this idea, they get sick, they don't receive healing, and they have a really hard time with it. Now I want to talk about the guys that have rejected this, that have decided this was a deception and found a different truth in the scripture, something that's more Christ-centered, that lines up with what Jesus taught. Those who have rejected that doubt and embraced Christ have a much better success at functioning and healing. Almost every modern day minister that functions at some level of success in healing, people who have seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open, people raised from the dead, demons cast out, lepers cleansed, all of this, cancers healed. These guys almost in unison completely reject this doubt and do their absolute best to expose it for being a heresy. The thing that I am speaking to is most commonly referred to through the concept of the sovereignty of God. The way it is presented in most churches is absolute heresy and does not line up with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, or God the Father, or the Gospels, or the New Testament, or the life of Christ. The way that this doctrine was first presented to me is everything that happens is the will of God. I mean, he's God, right? He's the one that kind of created this whole show, this whole earth, this all these humans and plants and flowers and sunsets and mountains and valleys. I mean, he's, he created all of it. So surely he's the one that causes everything to happen. And here's where the issue comes in. I've got free will, don't I? Well, this common concept of the sovereignty of God is the idea that God will force his will over our free will. And it may be true that once we die and the resurrection comes and the judgment happens, that at that point, it's going to be God's will very much being you know, forced upon me, if you will, more so than my own will. But right now, as long as I'm alive and living, I have free will. I can choose to talk. I can choose to be quiet. God's not the one forcing me to do this. I have free will to do that. So this idea of the sovereignty of God as often presented is the idea that God forces everything that happens. And here's the issue. If that's the case, we serve an absolute wicked and evil God if that was true. Because kids starve to death. Kids get murdered. Kids die in car wrecks. All kind of horribly sad things happen. And there's no way we could look at Jesus Christ as he was revealing God to us and think that kind of loving God is running around causing these things to happen. That's not the case. I mean, imagine one of these horrible things happens to somebody and you have a kid that dies. Well, do you believe if you could bring that kid to Jesus in the multitude that he would resurrect them? 
we see that happen. We see, well, usually they come and they bring Jesus to the deceased, but we see Jesus doing that. That's the Jesus that we serve. That's the God that we serve. But there's this theology that has invaded. And what it does is it tries to accept evil as the will of God. And the issue there is it creates a passivity in the church so that the Christians and the church will quit standing up and fighting for their inheritance. They'll quit fighting. They literally put down the armor of God and they just grab a chair and pop a squat and sit and wait passively for one day after they die. So that's part of the issue with this doctrine is it actually takes the Christian walk out of the life of a Christian. We have to be careful about embracing this. So I want to read one section from Roger Sapp's book called Beyond a Shadow of a Doubt. Just one paragraph, about 10 or 15 sentences here. And this is where Roger speaks about the doubt about the sovereignty of God. Right now, I'm just going to talk about it in the realm of healing. Occasionally, someone will assert that the sovereignty of God means that God does not heal if he chooses not to heal. Often, they are relying upon Old Testament passages to support this doubt-producing idea. There are very several wrong ideas in this theology. First of all, this would have God the Father acting in a very different way than his son Jesus demonstrates. When we see Christ, we see the Father. We contend that the Father's will and purpose are exactly as Christ reveals them. We contend that these matters remain the same yesterday, today, and in the future. Secondly, we contend that Christ reveals the sovereignty of God perfectly. He shows us exactly how sovereignty works out in practice. He heals all who come to him in childlike faith. He does not heal those who respond to him in unbelief as they did in Nazareth. He never demonstrates that the Father is making arbitrary or mysterious decisions about who will be healed and who will not be healed. Instead, Christ demonstrates that all can receive if they come to him. A lot of times when I see this belief system that we're calling the sovereignty of God, and that's not to say that God's not ultimately, you know, God. Because I'm telling you, from at the beginning, he was there and he created and he was in control. At the end, there's God. He is at the beginning, he is at the end. He's the Alpha, he's the Omega. But what I am saying is that God is not down here puppeteering us like we are puppets. I'm reminded of that song, I think it was from The Killers or something. And it was always, you know, are we human or are we dancers? Do we have our own will to navigate this earth? Or am I just a puppet on the strings of God where he forces everything that I'm doing? At some point, the logic just falls out with this idea of sovereignty of God. Now, what we see is we see that God has definitely already set out a plan for reconciliation. Ultimately, he is in control in the end. Ultimately, he is the force by which the heavens and earth are held together. But it is not like I'm coming to God saying, Oh God, if it be your will, will you heal me? And he's sitting up in heaven flipping a coin saying, All right, if it's heads, Eric gets healed. And if it's tails, well, bummer for you, Eric. No, that's not it at all. 
See, sometimes we fail to grasp this idea that if it be your will prayer, I've seen this so often, and I just have to address it here because Ephesians 5.17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but be understanding what the will of God is. Scripture literally declares it to be foolish not to know the will of God. And I'll tell you why I think that is, and not as a condemnation, but imagine you have a relationship with somebody and you can just talk to them to find out what's going on. You do with God. Well, we're supposed to have relationships with him. We at least like to make the claim that Christianity is a relationship and not a religion. Are we living out the relationship side or just the religion side? When we have a relationship with God, we can absolutely just ask him and talk to him about his will. We can see God's will revealed perfectly in Jesus Christ for many things, including our healing. What a number of ministers have discovered over the years, especially those who function successfully in healing, not those who don't. What you'll find is the ones that pray, if it be your will, heal me, are the ones who usually end up having funerals because they did not receive their healing. We have to realize that it is not me saying, oh God, if it be your will, and now all eyes are on God like it's his job, like I did everything perfectly, don't you know? Now God has to be the one to either send down the healing or not, and it'll be his fault if it doesn't happen. Well, that's incorrect. That is not a proper application of my faith, and that's me trying to shift the responsibility. God extends the grace, but I extend the faith. I can't force God to be the one to extend the faith. And we'll get to later when we understand this idea of double-mindedness a little bit more. But when I come and I say, oh God, if it be your will, what I'm actually showing there is usually some sort of double-mindedness. I don't know the will of God. Yet scripture actually declares that I must pray according to the will of God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. We need to ask according to God's will. But you know when I come and I don't know what the will of God is, scripture calls that double-mindedness. And it says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord. I have seen some sad cases and sad situations that, I mean, they're genuinely sad. They're heartbreaking where people, sometimes ministers, good, good men and women of God, people that are very lovable, that are trying their best, that are pursuing, but they don't understand it. And so they have this idea that God's up there flipping a coin and they're just sure hoping it lands on heads. But in reality, that mentality in our minds that says God's up there flipping a coin is actually us being double-minded. It's us thinking God might save us, God might not save us. We're giving him both options. Yet that's not how we're supposed to do this. We come boldly before the throne of God and by grace through faith, not through double-mindedness, not through doubting not through disqualifying ourselves, but rather through seeing Jesus and his accomplished work at the cross. Jesus is not deciding today if you should receive your healing. I'm going to tell you this. When he said at the cross and said, it is finished, 
He saw you, and it included every sin you would ever commit, forgiveness for those, every sickness and disease you would ever have and ever need healing for, and every issue of the mind, will, or emotion that you would ever need deliverance for. It is finished. He's already paid the price at the cross. He's not deciding whether or not you should be allowed to walk in salvation. Contrary to that, Jesus is actually delighted in you walking in salvation. When we walk out our salvation well, perfectly, in a manner worthy of salvation, we are demonstrating this to the world. And right now, we really need to begin to pursue the Lord more and more that we could be lights, especially when it comes to healing. So many people are, have been suffering from all this COVID craziness. So many people dying. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of them unnecessarily so. A lot of people, just because they don't have hope, they don't know their Savior. And how will they know about the Savior of their bodies unless somebody is preaching it? Scripture declares that without a preacher, they don't hear the message. We need, we need every Christian to become activated in this. Every one of us. We are the light that the world is desperately waiting for. We have got to start shining. I hope this message has been encouraging to you. And I would encourage you, be as the Bereans. Search out the scriptures. Get to know your Jesus more. Get to know him personally, one-on-one. -on -one. Get to know his book, but get to know him also. And I'm, I pray this message has been a blessing. I pray you find freedom from any sort of theological hangups that may have held you back. And just know that healing is always available to you. Always, 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 always. Until the very last second of your life, when you can die perfectly healthy and healed at a very, very old age.